Well, it is good to be here this morning. I don't mean just good to be here in general. It's good to be here with you this morning. It is my privilege to address you this morning. I'm excited. Well, I'm always excited when I'm up here, but I'm particularly excited this morning for today's sermon message is entitled Adoption More Than a Metaphor. We're going to root our sermon today in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6. And then we're referencing a few other scriptures as well as we talk about this topic of adoption this morning. Well, it's past Friday. Many of the one billion Muslims gathered their prayer mats, faced eastward towards Mecca, and performed their daily prayers to their God, Allah. This God who they also know as the Mighty One, the King, the Holy, the Proud. Muslims have at least 99 different names for God. But none of those names is Father. On December 1st, throughout the world, and certainly here in South Florida, Jews celebrated the first day of Hanukkah. They read the Torah. They read numerous blessings. They acknowledged the unspeakable Yahweh, the great I Am, the Holy One. But unless they were Messianic Jews, they did not address him as Father. Yesterday, millions of Christians around the world, professing Christians, celebrated the birth of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to live and die for the sins of his people. Why? That we could know God as Father. So here's the question before us this morning. Do you know God, the Father? Do you know God as your Father? To read a quote from J.I. Packer in his classic book, Knowing God, he states this, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new, everything that is distinctively Christian is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father, is the Christian name for God. God came as a child, Christmas, that we might become children of God. Let me say it again. God came as a child. We celebrate this very Christmas and every Christmas. Why? That we might become children of God. Church, do you know this truth? Not only do you know it, does it prompt and control your worship of God? Does it inform, does it flavor your outlook on life, especially as it relates to children and family? What I'm about to share with you this morning, I'll say it up front, is personal. It is personal. It's personal because, like many of you, I've been adopted spiritually through Christ. 
But it's also personal for this reason as well. My wife, Cindy, has not only been adopted spiritually, she was adopted physically at three weeks of age. Her adoptive mother and Cindy wanted to be here today. They were both sick. I really wanted them here today. But it is personal. But today's message is also personal because of this. We as a family are in the process of adopting a child, our fifth child. So this this morning's sermon is personal, but it's also practical as well. And I believe it's practical for every person here, whether you're single or whether you're married, whether you're childless or you have a household of children, because we're going to be speaking about adoption. Well, you may ask, well, Corey, are we speaking about our spiritual adoption by our Heavenly Father? Or are we speaking about the physical adoption of orphans, of the fatherless? Well, the answer is yes. It's both. Because I believe they both go together. Adoption, more than a metaphor. And with that in mind, let's turn to our main text this morning. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 3. This is the Apostle Paul addressing us. This is God addressing us through his Holy Scripture. When we read this wonderful doxology of the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the beloved. Let us pray. Dear Lord, would you this morning show us the grandeur and the glory of our adoption in Christ that we may also see the grittiness and the glory of caring for the fatherless. Lord, help me. Help me make this connection between the spiritual and the physical, that our faith may not be disjointed, but whole and living and active and doing this morning. Amen. Well, this morning, the day after Christmas, we may be looking back at Christmas, but not on our text. The Apostle Paul is looking even farther back. He's not looking back to the manger in Ephesians 1, but he's looking back to the eternal purposes and plan of God our Father in sending his son Jesus to earth. And he's praising God. In fact, as as we've learned in our GROW course here at Palm Vista, our inductive Bible study in the book of Ephesians, verses 3 through 14 in the original language is one long sentence in Greek. It is an effusion. It is an explosion of praise by the Apostle Paul. It's a call to worship. 
It's a call of praise for every spiritual blessing that we as Christians, those who are in Christ, have. Blessings which have been ordained by God from before the beginning of time. Paul then, in this first chapter, this doxology, lists seven spiritual blessings at least for all of those who are in Christ. That is, those who are united in Christ by faith, i.e., for those who are Christians. We're going to be focusing this morning on the second blessing, and I believe the ultimate and climatic blessing, as it says in verse 5, and that is our adoption. We're going to look at God this morning. We're going to look at the Father's mission in adopting us. We're going to look at his appointed means in fulfilling that mission. And then we're going to look at his motive in fulfilling that mission. So my three points this morning to start off, start off with would be mission, means, and then motive of adopting us in Christ. You see, these three points, they form the spiritual truth. They, they form the indicatives that then inform the last point of my sermon. It's the very title of the sermon. It's where the rubber meets the road. Adoption, more than a metaphor. Where we see that the mission, our mission, is a mission that flows from the Father's mission. You see, as we see in this text, God chose us to be his children. And it's been so from all eternity. Let's look at the first point there, God's mission. We read in verse 3 and 4, we see, He, that is God, chose us. He chose us. And later on, He predestined us. Verse 5. Why? Later on on in that verse, He did it according to the purpose of His will. If you're in Christ this morning, God chose you before you were ever born. The text says, before the foundation of the world. Why? Why did he choose you? That you may become what? Holy and blameless before him. The first spiritual blessing mentioned here in Ephesians. But please note, God did not choose you because he could look into the future and see that you would be holy and blameless, or somehow more holy and blameless, and therefore meriting salvation. No. The implication is clear. You were chosen by God's sovereign will because you weren't holy and blameless, and you had no possibility of ever becoming holy and blameless, apart from God's choosing and sovereign work in your life. Do you see that? And as amazing as this first blessing is, that we've been called to be holy and blameless. Oh, this is the foundational primary blessing. But it doesn't end there. You see, God didn't just choose us to become holy and blameless. It's not like he just sterilized us and then let us be. He didn't choose to die for us just to spray us with Lysol and let us aerate in his toy chest for all eternity. No, he chose us to bring us into his family as his children, to love us, and that we may enjoy him forever as his children. He chose us that we might become his 
very children, that he might be our father. In other words, because of our sinful, alienated state, we were once not children. Catch that? We were once not children. We were not holy and blameless in his sight. We were, as the Bible says, children of wrath rather than children of Heavenly Father. In choosing us, God the Father was adopting us. He was adopting us. To quote Russell Moore in his excellent, provocative book, which I do recommend, it is entitled Adopted for Life. I'm going to reference a few quotes and content from him this morning. We read from Russell Moore. Imagine for a moment that you were adopting a child. And as you meet the social worker in the last stage of the process, you're told that this 12-year-old has been in and out of psychotherapy since he was three. He persists in burning things and attempting repeatedly to skin kittens alive. He acts out sexually, the social worker says, although she doesn't really fill you in on what that means. She continues with a little family history. The boy's father, grandfather, great-grandfather, and great-great-grandfather all had histories of violence, ranging from spousal abuse to serial murder. Think for a minute. Would you want this child? If you did adopt him, wouldn't you keep your eye on him as he played with the other children? Would you watch him nervously as he looks at the butcher knife on the kitchen table? Would you leave the room as he watched a movie on television with your daughter with the lights out? Church, we were, we are that 12-year-old. That 12-year-old, it's you and it's me. That's what the gospel is telling us, Christian. God chose to adopt you. Do you find that shocking? Some of us, you may say, no. I find it insulting, (laughs) but I don't find it shocking. See, we don't like, I don't think many of us like to think that we're adopted, do we? Or that we needed to be adopted. But if you don't this morning, I don't believe you understand the depravity of your own sin. You don't understand your family history. It goes back to the garden, Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned. But you don't understand your alienation from God. Because perhaps you don't understand your sinful nature. To put in the words of Russell Moore, we assume we're natural-born children with a right to all his grace and a right to all his glory. You see, many of us assume that we can just walk in to God's house and raid the refrigerator, the leftover turkey, or lechon, right? We just assume that we have a right to dad and his wallet, right? Because we're Americans. And so we assume, listen, there is only, only 
one person who had the natural right to call God Father. And that person is Jesus Christ. Only one person ever had the natural born right to call God his Father and a right to all his riches. And that is Christ. It is Christ who forsook the divine privileges of that right to become to, to come to earth, born of a woman, to make the adopting mission of the Father possible. That leads to our second point. The mission, now the means. We see the means is through whom? Jesus Christ. Right there in our text, verse 5. He predestined us for adoption. As sons, how? Through Jesus Christ. He was the means of executing that mission. Jesus became, catch this, a substitute orphan for us. Let's take that thought with fresh eyes now. And let me just read, I want you to hear a familiar passage. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ, born of flesh, conceived of the Holy Spirit, had no biological earthly father, no genetic mother. He was born an orphan, as a substitute orphan, to die in our place, a child of wrath, taking the wrath and just penalty for our sin against God the Father and taking it upon himself. Why? That we might become Children of God, no longer orphans, no longer estranged from God and Father. God became a child that we might become children of God. Oh, thank you, Lord. The mission, the means, what was the motive? Oh, we see as well in the text, his motive was love. Right before verse 5, we read, in love. He did this. He predestined us for adoption as sons to Jesus Christ. Listen to this. According to the purpose of his will, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That beloved being Christ himself. Let's talk about that. This love which God has displayed towards us is his glorious grace in placing us in Christ, in the beloved. Why? Oh, it's the love that the Father has had for the Son for all eternity. A perfect and holy love may be ours now as well because we are in Christ. We also are his Son because of the love he had for his Son, capital S. Friends, that is love. That is grace. But notice in our text as well, it says that we were adopted as sons. As sons. Some of you ladies may want to insert and daughters. 
You could do that? But listen, there's a reason that sons is used exclusively in this text. You see, in the Bible times, in their culture, as in many cultures today still, it was the son, not the daughter, who received the full inheritance. You see, regardless of gender, in Christ, we have all become sons, and thus heirs with God. Oh, it's so well put in Galatians 4. Galatians 4, starting with verse 4 through 7. Let me read. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And now look at verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God. We are heirs in Christ. So what is our inheritance? What is our inheritance? Oh, it's, it's none other than God himself. It is God himself who gave himself for us. It's all that he is. And all that he has is now ours in Christ. He is our father, and he belongs to us. You know what else? We belong to him as well. Works both ways. For we read later on in Ephesians 1, 18, where it says, we too, the saints, the Christians, we are his. It's God's glorious inheritance. He's our inheritance. And we are his inheritance too. Our church, we're in Christ, we're family, we're family. And that means all of us in Christ Jesus are brothers and sisters. In love, God united us to his son, that we might be one family. That something greater than genes or geography would unite us, namely, Christ Jesus. That too is love. We read in Mark 10, 29, these amazing words and promise of Jesus. Starting at verse 29. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, i.e. here on earth, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, and yes, with persecution in the age to come eternal life. Church, do you know your family genealogy. Your genealogy isn't found in those old, big family Bibles that may have a genealogical chart of your biological family. No, your genealogy is found in the Bible. It's a story of God's people. Your genealogy is found in the seats, the saints, your brothers, 
and your sisters right next to you. Jesus, your mother and your brothers want to speak to you. Christ replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he looked to his disciples and those following him. And he said, here is my mother and here are my brothers. The family of God. How many times have I told my children on Sunday morning as we're eating breakfast, today we're going to meet with our spiritual family. We're having a reunion, and we're going to gather together to worship God, but we're gathering together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is your family. See, the fact that we're adopted, we're children of God, means that we have family. A family that transcends bloodlines and ethnicity. A family that spans the ages. Family that spans all ages. A family that crosses seas and borders. Oh, church, if you're in Christ, you're rich. Oh, I know the economy's suffering. What is it? Unemployment's hovering around 10%. Don't feel you. You're rich. We're family. Mikasa Esukasa. You know what? That's in the Bible. You want, you want to read that? It's in the Bible. Go back. Galatians 4. Galatians 4 back up there again. I want you to read that. Verse 30 of Mark 10. Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time? Houses. 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 And then brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. What does he mean? It can be real estate, moguls? No. The brothers... The houses of your brothers and sisters. Hospitality. Their house become yours. You can share because you're family. Their house is your house. My house is your house. You get it? Because we're family. We're in Christ. That is our family. And we're rich. We're rich. All this because God in love purposed. He planned. He eternally decreed to adopt us as sons through Jesus Christ. But here's a very important question before us this morning. Is our adoption, is our spiritual reality merely a metaphor, merely a spiritual truth to grasp? Or is this metaphor of adoption also missional? Or in other words, does this metaphor call us to do something? To do something especially when it comes to caring for orphans, for the fatherless, for the weak and the oppressed. Church, I believe it does. Because last point, adoption is more than just a metaphor. There are physical implications to the spiritual reality that God came as a child to make us children of God. Embedded in this metaphor is a mission of mercy and love, which we have been shown and we are to display towards others in love. Behind the gospel indicative that we have been spiritually adopted in Christ lies gospel implications for us individually and as a church as well. 
Perhaps you see this most clearly, most directly in the book of James. Wasn't that a great study we did recently? Yeah, that book of James. Remember the theme of James? A Christian is as Christian does. James' clear emphasis in this letter is on the faith that works, on a faith that shows itself to be genuine. Let's drop into chapter 1, verses 9 through 27, that last segment there of the first chapter of James. James is addressing what pure and undefiled religion looks like. He's looking at what does it mean to be a doer of the word. One who just doesn't hear the word or profess the word, but one who does the word as well. And then James concludes this first chapter with what I find at least somewhat a rather surprising or at least unsuspecting words. We read in James chapter 1, verse 27, these words. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. When I read that verse, I ask myself, okay, James, is that the sum total of pure religion? I don't believe it is. But you know what? It's exhibit A, that James is marshalling to make a serious point of what a doer of the word should look like. What's the point? That true Christians, doing Christians, are those who imitate the Father. They're those who then to imitate the Father. It's those who do that which they see the Father doing. Did not Christ say the same in John 5, 19? For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Well, that begs the question, church, what is the Father doing if we're to imitate him? He's doing what he has purposed from all eternity past. That's visiting, rescuing, and protecting the fatherless, and the helpless. Jot down Psalm 68.5. He is a father to the fatherless and a protector of widows. What has he been doing? What has God the Father been doing for all eternity? What has he purposed to do for all eternity? To lay down his life for orphans, to make them sons and daughters. Ephesians 1. Galatians 4, which you just read, you can add in there Romans 8 as well. And as we do likewise, we are showcasing a greater spiritual reality to the world, our adoption in Christ. That which is planned by the Father, executed by the Son, and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1. Perhaps James knew better than anyone how physical adoption and spiritual adoption are interrelated. Why? Because James' father was Joseph. His father, Joseph, adopted the orphan Jesus. Yeah, that Mary and Joseph. 
Have you ever thought about that? Can't help to think that James did when he was penning these words. He was thinking back to his father and to his brother, Jesus. To say the least, Mary's pregnancy was the most surprising and unwanted pregnancy. The Christmas that we celebrated was the most unwanted Christmas for Joseph. Oh, until he heard the angel of the Lord speak. What did the angel of the Lord speak to Joseph? We read in Matthew 1.20. Just hear it. But as he, that's Joseph, considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I can only imagine what Joseph was thinking. Something perhaps like this. Wed me, wed Mary, pregnant, out of wedlock? <laughs> That's crazy. Where I come from, we stone women like that. We don't marry them. That's scandalous. What will my family think? What will my friends think? What will my carpentry clientele think? Furthermore, I'm to be his father? He's not even my flesh and blood. Can I even love him as a father? And can I even teach him as a father? Oh, this Jesus. And so Joseph endured the scorn and the ridicule of his shame culture of Nazareth. Oh, I'm sure he was perceived as a naive sucker at best for marrying Mary and believing such a far-fetched story, or at worst, seen as a conniving liar for claiming innocence in regards to his pregnancy, and worse than that, claiming divine revelation in the matter as well. And so Joseph believed God. He took Mary as his wife and adopted Jesus as his son. You know what's really cool? Joseph's name is preserved in the genealogy of Jesus for all of history, all of time, all eternity in Matthew 1.16. What, church, what we can so often miss is this. Not only did Joseph adopt Jesus, but he didn't have to, humanly speaking. And by the way, neither did God have to adopt you or me. To quote Russell Moore once again, Joseph easily could have walked out to the city gates, shaking his head to his friends. You'll never believe this crazy dream I had last night. No one would have blamed him for putting aside his betrothal to Mary. In fact, he probably would have been praised at his funeral for his kindness and not calling for her to be stoned to death. Joseph could have married a pious Jewish woman, could have fathered several of his own children. He could have slept easily at night, 
perhaps, and then died an old man. No one would have thought him to be evil or even negligent. But if he had done that, he would have been standing with the spirit of Antichrist rather than with the spirit of Christ. No one else was called to adopt this Christ child, but he was. And because he believed God, he obeyed him, even to his own hurt. Church, I know that none of us here will be directed to do what Joseph did, okay? Adopt the Messiah. Few of us, if any, will have a dream directing us to adopt a child. But all of us are called to remember the fatherless, the weak, and the oppressed. Oh, this may look different according to your ability and to your resources, I know. But here's the question that burns in my heart. Lord, where are the Josephs? Where are the Josephs in the church today? You know what? I can answer that, at least in part. I believe they're right here at Palm Vista because I've met you. And in a few moments, I want to pray for you. Oh, there's a lot of, quote, Marys as well. I know that. I thank God for you. But I can't help believe that there are not more Josephs right here at Palm Vista. You see, crisis pregnancies, abortion, adoption are not just woman issues, no matter what our culture says. If we're going to say that we're pro-life, if we're going to stand against abortion, we must stand up for adoption. And there must be Josephs. Josephs willing to take the lead in visiting and caring for orphans. And yes, even adopting them. Josephs who are willing to take the financial hits and the sacrifice of their time and even their freedoms to show forth a godly biblical masculinity. A biblical masculinity that protects women and children, not just those of your own flesh and blood. Yeah, that kind of biblical masculinity. Joseph's, you don't have to wait until you're able to adopt. You can act now. We have children right here. Children that have no father or no fatherly influence in their lives. <clears throat> Raised by single moms. You can come alongside, talk with them, get to know them, serve them. If you don't know how, I'd be happy to talk to you. I know Jose would as well, because he leads the youth. I want you to hear this. I was raised by a single mom up until age 10. Until dad gave me a wonderful father. I want you to hear this, though. Long before I had a dad under my roof, 
I had dads in the church. Long before I had a dad under my roof, I had dads willing to show me what a hard work looked like, what biblical masculinity looked like. And I'm so grateful for those dads. You can be that dad, Joseph. You can be that father. Oh, please hear this. We're not all called to adopt. Let me repeat. We're not all called to adopt. Don't leave this morning. Yeah, Corey said, if you're really spiritual, if you got faith, you're going to adopt. No, I didn't say that. I did not. Please don't hear it. You may be in no position to adopt. I understand. May you get there. But you may not be. Maybe you'll never be. But we all, we all have a stake in it. We all have a stake in building a culture of life. And yes, adoption here at Palm Vista. A culture that showcases the gospel of Jesus Christ and our adoption in Christ. It's just as marriage, as we've taught here so many times, it's just as marriage showcases the gospel, Ephesians 5, just as families showcase the gospel, so does adoption showcase the gospel, our adoption in Christ Jesus. If we are going to have a stake in the gospel, we will also have a stake in adoption. We will celebrate children. We will encourage adoption as an outworking of the gospel. Why? Because I believe the gospel culture is an adoption culture. A cross-centered church will be a church willing to care and to sacrifice for the weak, for the needy, for the oppressed, for orphans, just as Christ did and is doing for us. Let's take this point a little further. An evangelism and discipleship culture is an adoption culture. Adoption or fostering is an opportunity to share, to teach, and to live out Christ before an orphan under your own roof every single day. A culture of mercy is a culture of adoption. Adoption is not just a one-time act of feeding the homeless and providing shelter. All that is important. That is worthy. But adoption is a commitment to do that for one person, for one orphan, every single day. An ethnically diverse church, yet united in the gospel, is an adoption culture. Adoption means being willing to look beyond our genes and geography in defining family and our spiritual identity. In sum, a great commission culture is an adoption culture. That is to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to do everything that I have commanded. That is an adoption culture. So the question before us this morning, as we draw to a close, how do we cultivate such a culture here at Palm Vista? You know what? I believe God's already doing it. I am simply up here giving voice to it this morning. I simply have the privilege of amplifying what God is already doing from the pulpit this morning. We are helping cultivate a culture of life and adoption 
when we do the following. Number one, every time we celebrate a birth or adoption in our church, listen, if you have more than two or three kids, there are few outside the church who are going to celebrate you or your children. I've heard the questions. Don't you know where those kids come from? Don't you have a TV set? I've heard them all. If you adopt someone of a different race or color from you, most likely, you or your children are not going to be celebrated. But may, at the church, Jesus Christ, may here, may these children be celebrated. Every time we dedicate a child to the Lord and pledge as parents to help the parents who line up here of dedication, regardless of if they are flesh and blood, we are promoting a culture of life and adoption. Thirdly, every time we welcome someone of a different race, a socioeconomic background, or a different political persuasion with open arms at Palm Vista, and we share the gospel with them, we are promoting a culture of life and adoption. Every time we pray, our Father who is in heaven, and we mean it, our Father. We're promoting this culture. Every time we give and serve to help stop the tide of abortion in our country, in our county, through its organizations as heartbeats of Miami. Every time we volunteer and help serve with his house or an orphanage or take in a foster child or help serve a single mom. Every time we pray for and even give towards those who are pursuing adoption or pray and help out with those who all have already adopted. Every time we pray for and support those caring for orphans or counseling women and couples to choose life, we are promoting this culture of life and adoption at Palm Vista. Church, these are just a few of the many ways to cultivate this culture. But the point is this. Adoption is more than a metaphor. It's a mission. It's a mission which each of us has a stake in. So help us, God. I want to pray for those right now. A few groups of people. I'm going to have you stand would you? I don't want to embarrass you. just want you to have you stand. And then as I call everyone to be stand, I'm just going to pray for you as a group. But I do want to pray in conclusion for you. How appropriate this would be. I'd like to pray for those who are adopted or those who have already adopted. If that's you, would you stand? I know many are gone. If you are adopted, thank you, Mark, or have adopted, I know we have Anna Mendez back there. Talked to a few other families as well, as well from Palm Vista who are not here this morning. The Abelis, great. Ricky, Susie, great. The Cooks who are not here as well. They wanted to be here. Thank you for standing. You can just keep standing. I'd like to pray as well for those who are in the process of adopting. Maybe it's just the beginning process, but you are currently looking into it, filling out the paperwork, and trusting God for an adopted boy or girl. 
If you're in the process right now, could you stand as well? Great. Thank you, guys. If you're serving with a crisis pregnancy center, such as Heartbeat of Miami, whether working full-time or volunteering, could you stand as well? I want to pray for you. I know we have some here may not be here this morning. And lastly, if you're volunteering or working at his house or another such orphanage, would you stand as well? I respect you. I just want to pray for you now. Church, I'm going to pray. Just please agree with me in prayer right now for every person, every family, and child who's standing. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, I ask that you would sustain and lift up those who are standing right now. Lord, you know their heart. You know their choices. You know their aches. And you see their gritty faith. Lord, would you uphold them? Would you nourish them? And the children they care for and they speak for. Lord, I ask for those here that they may be the first fruits of many more here at Palm Vista and in your church at large who are defenders and parents of the fatherless, of orphans. Oh, Lord, I pray especially for those who are seeking to adopt right now, who are somewhere in the process. Lord, would you grant them their heart's desire as a reflection of your heart? Lord, would you provide for all they need for this journey of faith in and through Christ Jesus? Oh, Lord, I know there are many obstacles to adoption. There are finances. There is traveling. There is bureaucratic obstacles. There is the changing of laws. There's just the perseverance needed to keep going when we're weary. Oh, Lord, sustain them, Father. Give them the desires that you've placed in their hearts. Oh, Lord. For those who are serving in orphanages or crisis pregnancy centers, Father, those who perhaps don't see day in and day out the tangible fruit of their efforts, Oh, Lord, encourage them. Oh, Lord, that one day, they will. That one day, you're coming back. And you're going to make all things new, Father. Encourage them with what you're doing and what you will do when you come back to consummate your reign in and through Christ Jesus. Lord, that they are doing your work. Encourage them, Father. Today, sustain them. And I pray, bless them. Oh, Lord. God, our Father. Amen. Amen.